0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So excited to be joined today by Ben Afia, a FTSE 100 customer communication expert. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Simeon. Pleasure to be here. So you're here today to discuss how businesses can connect their culture, brand and experiences to keep their best customers coming back. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have been helping companies to be more human for over 20 years now. Um, a long career, which probably ages me slightly. Uh, but I first started at Boots Uh and manage tone of voice and language and all of our written interactions with customers. Um, I've since had my own consultancy for almost 20 years and I've worked with clients like Vodafone, Aviva, uh, Google and BP to help them connect with customers but also with their culture internally. Fabulous. And looking forward to uh,
0: to diving into that with you uh, in a little bit more detail shortly. Um, now, tradition on the show to get things kicked off. I'd love for you to share a time recently where, as a consumer, you experienced
1: customer love firsthand and really what impact that had on you as a consumer. Well, it's a bit of a cliche, but I'm going to talk about Apple. Um, I'm in the middle of a situation right now, actually. <clears throat> so my iPhone is heating up and the screen is going dim. So it's got this fault. It's about a year and a half old. So it's moderately new. And uh, I took it in to have a look and they couldn't repl- replicate the fault. So a little bit frustrating because when you take your phone in, you've got to wipe it clean and then set it up again. And it's always a bit of a faff. Um, so the problems recurred. They couldn't track it down. So I've got onto Apple support literally two or three days ago. And it was just this moment that really brought Apple's uh, you know love for customers home for me, I suppose. So we went through, we escalated the case. Uh, We've gone through the diagnostics. They're going to come back with an answer. But the bit that really sort of stood out for me was I spoke to one of the senior reps and he and he taught me through step by step what was going to happen next. Now, I can't remember word for word. I, I wish I'd been writing it down as a customer experience specialist. I should have had this uh, this case study down. But the things that I remember for it, he told me what was going to happen, what the steps were going to be. He told me who was going to do what the team that he was going to escalate to. He told me the timescale that it was likely to uh, to take. And he told me what the, uh, what the conclusion was likely to be. And just by confirming each of those steps and the specificity of it, that made me feel really looked after. And I gave him that feedback. I th- said, look, you know, I work in the customer experience space and that was a brilliant experience. So I feel well looked after. The problem isn't solved yet, but I trust that it is going to be solved. And that's the key. Because, you know, in all organizations, problems occur. We have to solve them, but the issue is how we solve them and how we make a customer feel because it's how we make customers feel that we remember. And I think you highlight a really important point
0: there around transparency as well in terms of, you know, the experience that you had there it was very clear in terms of the different steps that he was going to take Mm. to solve it. And he really made the point to make sure that you were very familiar and clear with that as well. So as a consumer, as you said, that gives you a lot of confidence with the person that you're speaking with and the fact that, yes, okay, they haven't solved the problem just yet, but you're you're comfortable in the knowledge that they're going to be taking this seriously and and ultimately solve it for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So at the top of the
0: show we alluded to the fact that we're going to be touching on three really important aspects for businesses to get right to ultimately delight their their best customers and this is around connecting the culture the brand and the experience and I know from speaking with you you have a very uh, in-depth model that that covers this with businesses so Um, Would you mind by just starting uh, with giving us a very high level overview of of the model and why it's so important for each one of these steps to be connected in the way that they are?
1: Yeah. So um, as I said at the start, you know, I help companies to be more human. And how do we do that? So a human is an integrated person. An authentic human is themselves in whatever situation they might be, and they will adapt how they behave in different circumstances. The challenge that we have with organizations, and this happens with all large organizations who, you know, which just tends to be the com- companies that I work with the most, is that <clears throat> the left hand opposite does, uh, uh, often doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Uh, what I mean by this is that quite often you can have a brand strategy that's based on customer insight um, developed within the marketing team or the brand team, uh, often with their advertising agency or a branding agency. And that. Strategy that brand proposition is not necessarily connected with the culture's ability to deliver, and I find this at every large organization I go into and it's it's a it's just a feature of scale it's when businesses get big when they're in the tens or even a hundred hundreds of thousands of people that this problem tends to occur so you've got brand and marketing managing one thing you've got people or HR managing culture employee experience. You've got, again, you've then got customer experience team or operations team or customer services, whatever you call it in in your business, uh, looking after the direct interactions with customers. So the problem is your brand not being joined up with the culture. And that means you can't promise what you know that you can deliver. So my argument is if you start with your culture your employee experience how your employees feel and the genuine strengths within the organization you can build a brand that then can make a promise that you will deliver through your customer experience through customer service so you will do what you promise
0: that makes yep, yeah, that makes complete sense um and i'd love to dive into each one of those steps with you in a little bit more detail so sure. um Let's start with the employee experience. So um, give us a bit of a flavour of what that looks like. Um, And you started to allude to it a little bit there, but maybe just to expand on it. um, Why would you typically start with the
1: employee experience as the first step of this model? Yeah, it's a really interesting point, actually, Simeon. So typically the symptoms that you're going to be experiencing will be at the other end, at customer experience. So in your customer communications, you may have letters that are I don't know, if you're in insurance or banking, quite often the letters can be quite legalistic because there's a risk of being sued or being fined by the Financial Conduct Authority. So that fear causes a slightly legalistic tone to to come into customer communications. Uh, And that's one of the specific problems that I help companies to overcome. So you might have a symptom in customer communications that are not quite connecting with customers. Sometimes they're even causing complaints. Uh, but the the more common symptom is that those communications are not clear enough and empathetic enough, which means that customers have to call up to ask questions. And obviously, you know, if you're running a, a you know a contact center, every call is a cost to you. So you want to keep those costs to a minimum. You want the fewest, you know, the minimum possible number of calls. You want people to look after themselves digitally beforehand. You want your communications to be clear so that um, so that people know exactly what you you know what you hope that they will think and what they'll help they'll feel and to do so they won't need to ring the contact center that leaves your your, your agents free to look after the more complex problems so that, those are the symptoms and they're at the customer experience end but the way to solve those is to start with the reality and the strengths of your teams so that's why i start with the employee experience or your culture and one of the ways that I tried to get into this is this idea. So uh, I, I call I called it a few years, your heartbeat. And, and um, I, maybe I can give you an example just to illustrate. So um, about 12 years ago, um, Air BP, which is the Aviation Fuel Division of BP, uh, invited me to come and speak at their leadership conference in Barcelona. It just happened that this conference, this two day conference was uh, what's known as an appreciative inquiry summit, as they know it. Uh, appreciative inquiry is an approach to change that starts from what's already working. So I talked about starting from strengths in the organization. Appreciative inquiry is a really powerful tool for unearthing those strengths and hearing stories of times that people have been at their best. So, um, I was over in Barcelona and I said, you've got me for a couple of days. Why don't I do a bit of writing for you? So they sat me down with the chief operating officer, uh, David Gilmore at the time, who went on to become chief exec. And he talked to me about his ambition for the business, his the values, the the vision, the behaviors that he wanted to instill in people. And I translated into sort of simple human language and he found this a really powerful process. And he says, this is this is amazing. So what what do we do with it? Where where can we take this? Um, The suggestion that I made was it's well, this is a thing called brand strategy, but we start with your culture. So we then worked on the brand strategy for the brand and a brand personality and a tone of voice. But we started by asking people about to to tell stories of times that they were at their very best at work. I did this in interviews. We did this in workshops. And I found some extraordinary stories. Uh, I can still remember. I mean, this is over 10 years ago. Somebody telling me that the country manager for uh, the Tenerife Airport, um, Tenerife had a fuel supply contamination problem. It wasn't BP's fuel. Uh, but BP are the people that you call, and there's a reason for that. It's because they're joined up, they're connected throughout the world. There were about 1,000 people at the time, but because they're scattered across the world, they had to spend a lot of time nurturing that culture and making sure people feel felt connected. So you ring BP because they can ring London, they can ring South Africa, and they can fix this problem, and this was 3 a.m. in the morning. Everybody gets up, and they pull together to, to bring it together. That story really resonated with me. I can remember it to this day, and I can still tell tell it at least in brief. So this is what I started to think of as AirBP's heartbeat. So the language that they were using, and this is common amongst all organisations, is they tend to, they tend to use a business a business speak, if you like, a business language, uh, corporate speak, financial reporting language. Some sometimes it's compliance language. So all of this language is within the culture and within the communications. But the heartbeat that I was feeling was actually of a really connected, uh, emotionally intelligent organization that really very much felt like a family. People felt like they belonged and they felt very much a part of the team. So this is the idea of heartbeat. Then we take that into aligning leadership, again, using appreciative inquiry. Once we've heard the stories and brought leadership together, we can start developing values and behaviors and those values and behaviors I see as the two major components of culture or employee experience. And finally, we get to the engagement level, which is when you roll that out across your organization and get people involved in creating the kind of organization they love working for. So that's the whole process, heartbeat, alignment, values, behaviors, and engagement. I love this idea and the concept of the heartbeat as well. I think it's just so, uh, it's
0: such a nice way to kind of visualize it and You can see already with this model how it starts to break down the silos that you alluded to earlier around sort of like brand customer experience um the c-suite and what was interesting there as well you were talking about it starts very much at the exec level and then starts to and starts to filter down and this is a common theme that i hear a lot it really does need to come from the the top down otherwise it's it's just
1: so difficult i think to implement that that customer centric um view within a business It does. It must come from the top down. But I also feel very strongly that it needs to come from the bottom up. And this is the beautiful thing about appreciative inquiry, because you're asking people to tell stories of times they've been at their best. And you can do that through all the organizations. So a really interesting thing happens when you start to pair up these stories from the top and the stories from the bottom and you see where they meet. That's where something really special happens. That's when you get to language for to explain values and behaviors that feel really true, really authentic to the organization. It's funny, there was a post on LinkedIn just a couple of days ago, somebody was um, being ironic about, you know, values being posted up on walls, and basically nobody, you know, nobody taking any notice of them. But the way to make values really work is, is to make them resonate. And the way to make them resonate is they, they need to come from reality, they need to come from truth, not some pie in the sky idea. They must come from those stories. And when you tell those stories and repeat them to people, people go, well, I get that. That's the organization I recognize. Those are values that work.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. Um, so moving on to the the second part of the model, which is around brand strategy. So um, let's assume now as a business, we've started to get our, our, our thoughts around employee
1: experience. How do we then move on to brand strategy? What does that start to look like? Yeah. So as I said at the start, your symptom might be in the customer experience area. The starting point is employee experience or culture. So, what are the what's what's real, what's true, what what are the strengths of your people and your organization? If you start with that culture as a bedrock, you can then create a brand strategy that's based on truth, on reality, and this is the key to delivering what you promise. Quite often, I found with brand strategy, it's create it's based on consumer insight, which of course we need. We need to understand our customers in order to develop brand. But it doesn't necessarily draw on the reality of the culture. So just to give an example, um, I I mentioned that I started out at Boots uh, about 20 years ago and we uh, had a brand strategy that came from a certain large London advertising agency and they had given us a, a brand funnel. And so I'm picturing a funnel in my mind now and this funnel had pillars so first of all, if you've got a model, for, and there are many models for branding, but if you've got a model, don't mix your metaphors. Why does a funnel have pillars? The point of a model is it's to make, to make things clearer and to make it memorable so that you grasp it, you get the ideas. So you had a funnel with pillars and you had at least five levels and at least five words at each, each level. So we had a whole load of words around brand. We had, we had values that were integrity, intimacy and inspiration. Now, did you notice me slow down to say those? It's 20 years since, and I still have to slow down to say integrity, intimacy, and inspiration. They're big, Latin origin, hefty words. Now, some canny copywriter managed to come up with three big words that started with I, so that's great. So you had the alliteration, but nobody could really remember them. We couldn't get our heads around them. So this was in-house, in the brand team. We are thinking about how do we apply this? How do we bring this to life? And what we were trying to do was develop a tone of voice at the time. So... For integrity, we thought, well, how would we want to sound? Uh, and we decided we might want to sound clear. It's not rocket science. For th- That's integrity. So for intimacy, we said maybe we want to sound warm. And for inspiration, we want to be fresh. So we came to clear, warm and fresh. Now, we were thinking of those as sort of personality traits, if you like. But a really interesting thing happened. Clear, warm and fresh was a lot more memorable and repeatable than integrity intimacy and inspiration so people stopped trying to say integrity intimacy and inspiration and they just said clear warm and fresh they became effectively the values so what we created was something simple not particularly differentiated and i didn't think that mattered actually you know for a mass market brand like boots but it was memorable and it meant that people used it so it got adopted as the design mantra as the writing mantra throughout the business people kept saying clear warm and fresh so we'd hit on something really special And that's what I've tried to do ever since for the last 20 years. So the starting point for me, yes, we must understand our audience. So we need insight. But we have already started with employee experience, with our values, our behaviours. So when we take values and behaviours, combine that with our understanding of our our audience, we can then build on on that and look at our purpose for the organisation. I won't get into the detail, but this might be some kind of social purpose beyond purely making profit. Uh, sustainability, social, um, environmental. So there's all sorts of things that we can have in in, in purpose. Um, then we come onto positioning, which for me is how your customers think of you. So what space do you occupy in your customers' minds? That's what I think of as positioning. And quite often within organisations, we're very inwardly focused and we're thinking about, you know, how do we want to convey ourselves. But the thing we have to remember is that as a, as an organisation, we don't own our brand. The customer owns the brand in their brain. It's, it's it's the position we take in their brain and how they talk about us. So that's positioning. Then we can come on to identity, which is in the broadest sense. So it's verbal identity. It's visual identity. Um, it's the design of our stores. It's how we encourage people to speak. So all of the parts of identity. And then the other particular thing that I tease out of that in particular is, because it's where I started, is voice. So how do we sound? When we write and when we speak on the phone, so th- that's the those are the, that's what leads you to the moments of connection with customers. And what I'm trying to do in in you know in brand strategies, help people to think not just in the abstract, but start from what's true about us as an organisation and what's the deep understanding of how our customers feel. And often I find we hide behind research and insight. We get lots of research, um, but people lose sight of the fact that they are also customers so i can be in meetings where people are talking in the abstract about customers and i kind of try to gently bring them back and say look you are also a customer so let's try an exercise where we can put you in the shoes of a customer and imagine that you are that customer now how would you feel if you read that letter or you read that you know that that web page do you feel clear do you feel looked after cared for so that's brand strategy
0: and the way you were talking about it there, it just makes it so clear why you need to start with employee experience first as your foundation. As you were kind right. of going on and talking about the values, you really do need to kind of get that understanding first, because otherwise, as you said, you kind of come up with values that people just don't get behind, don't remember and don't understand. Yeah. Um And what you were saying there about kind of thinking very inwardly as well, we're all guilty of doing that sometimes. There's, there's a way that you want your customers to perceive you, but that might not be the reality. You need to obviously kind of always bear that in mind. So Absolutely. Um, but that was yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've kind of hopefully now mastered those first two steps and now we're ready to get on to, as you said, probably the area that people start with first or that that's kind of top of mind first, which is the customer experience. Um, so let's let's kind of explore that third step in this model around customer
1: experience in a bit more detail. Absolutely. So we ended brand strategy on voice. And so when we come into the customer experience area, we're thinking about, well, five things. Uh, One is the customer journey. Um, So we do, we think about customer journey mapping and uh, what points of contact do we have or touch points, as you might call them, uh, do we have where we interact with customers? Um, My next step in my model actually is, is I call it empathy. And the reason for that is it's about leaning into what customers might be feeling in a moment when we might be in contact with them. And I'll I'll come back to that in a moment. The third step is to look at all of those touch points along the journey and think about what do you want somebody to think or feel or do at that point in the journey? And then think about how, uh, plan, how we can transform all of those touch points. And that's, you know, that can be quite a big process because in many businesses, you know, if you're in, uh, you know, I work with a, a bank uh, selling mortgages, for example, and there are many teams in the, along the customer journey from broker sales, customer sales, uh, underwriting, many underwriting teams, various levels into legal compliance. And of course, it all starts with marketing in the first place. So many touch points along that journey and many teams responsible for those touch points. So how do we engage all of those people? Um, the, the final two sections are then, uh, once we've Uh, We've got our employee experience, we've defined our brand strategy, we've developed a behavior framework. Um, Then it's about training in the skills, uh, which will be marketing teams, sales teams, customer service teams. And then finally, how do we coach uh, in order to sustain those those skills? So just coming back a step to this point about empathy. So we talked in brand strategy about understanding our audience. And this is the thing that I find that people find very really difficult. So when we, it's almost like when we put in the olden days, when people used to put suits on to go to work, obviously post COVID that doesn't happen quite so much, but or maybe, maybe there's a resurgence. Um, so we tend to put, you know, if you imagine we put our suit on to go to work, it's like we put on our professional persona and that's the moment at which we sort of forget that we are also customers. So we put our business head on and that changes our thinking and we become almost like a different beast. So I have an exercise I like to do in workshops, and I do this in the, it can be in the heartbeat stage, so it can be part of employee experience, it can come into brand strategy when we're developing that, so it might be audience there, and it can come into work training workshops when we're looking at how we could review, you know, all of our customer letters, for example, for underwriting and for the mortgage journey, for example. Uh, and it's, uh, something based in, uh, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming called perceptual positions, which in plain English means taking the position of another person. <laughs> That's what it really means. Uh, but it's something I learned many years ago and it's a lovely way of stepping into somebody's shoes. So what I ask people to do is to come to a workshop with a, a sample of communication from within the organization. So it might be something that they've written or something that they're working on themselves, or it might be something that was created elsewhere so I get them people, people into groups and standing up around flip chart pages and I get them to uh, imagine a character. So we might say, OK, so Ben is a mortgage customer. He wants to renew his buy to let mortgage. Um, and, you know, so he's he's at a certain stage in that mortgage customer journey um, and he receives this letter. Um so let's imagine a day in the life of ben let's imagine who what what who ben is and what he's like what his family situation is uh, what a typical day might consist of and i get them to write you know from the moment they got up all through to to the end of the day till they go to bed you know what what is their day like and these pictures inevitably um end up being you know examples where you know lives are particularly packed our lives are busy we're we're swamped with media we've got lots of letters we've got bills we've got the red notice whatever we've got landing on our doorstep so in that context when I then read that letter so I've then encouraged them to step into that character and I go so now read your read this letter read this communication and tell me how it makes you feel and universally people go oh my god I'm baffled i'm confused actually this makes me quite angry i don't really know what you want me to do i don't really understand this interest rate or whatever it is so invariably we find flaws because when we've stepped into our customers you know uh, standpoint uh, position we can then appreciate things from a different angle rather than the company's position the next step is to say okay so how do you want your customer to feel And the opposite will tend to, you know, we'll say, okay, so I want my customer to feel clear, to feel informed, to feel empowered, to feel cared for, to feel that we've got their back. These are the sorts of words that come up. The step after that is say, okay, so what do you want to do to that communication to change it? And that is when we get into some rewriting. Just by taking that step back, I find people have the perspective to then transform all of those touch points in the customer journey. And something that's really interesting here is that this is even, almost more powerful when you have a more senior team. So I remember running a workshop for a group of 40 directors at Aviva many years ago when I was uh, working on their rebrand. And I had 40 very senior people. I was very nervous because, you know, senior people. And I thought that it would be quite scary. And actually, I found it was the opposite. We actually had a relatively short, spe- uh, a relatively short session. Um, But because of their seniority, they just had a bit more confidence. So they could look at these communications and go, this is not how we want to communicate at all. We didn't even really have to get into the detail of tone of voice and writing techniques because they instinctively knew what they needed to do. When they take the position of a customer, they go, well, I want it to be clear, simple and compelling. And I want my customer to feel looked after because that way they're going to buy more and come back and bring their friends. So that's my kind of customer experience process. Those steps kind of help structure it. And not every business needs to go through all those steps. We pick and choose the things that, you know, and, and every business will have some of these, the parts of my model in place, if not all of them. But we we start by identifying where we want to tweak and what things we want to focus on.
0: It is so funny, isn't it? When you put that suit or the metaphorical suit on and you step into the office, all of a sudden you become a completely different person. You yeah. forget that you're actually a consumer yourself. Um Again, we're all kind of guilty of that. But I think it's so valuable, to your point, to be able to understand that, reflect on that, and then do exercises to try and overcome that. Because it's not easy. But, yeah, um, yeah, no, it's a very good point indeed. Um, Ben, we've we've covered some amazing ground today. I found this model really fascinating to go through. Um, Just in closing, um, what can businesses expect to achieve when they start to get these three steps right and connected? Um, And are there any recent examples that you can share of businesses that have done this successfully?
1: Yeah, well, I think there are probably two distinct measures that can indicate success. I would tend to see an increase in NPS score and a decrease in cost to serve. Uh, Different industries will measure in slightly different ways, but generally you can see customer satisfaction rising and your cost to deliver that service reduce um so just to give an example of a company that i work with um over many years so vodafone uh, about five years ago i worked with the uh, contact center in india with vodafone and so they had a thousand people working on web chat for uk customers um uh, the project was to try and help them have more empathy for british customers because we're a bit weird especially to non-brits we don't complain very overtly all the time sometimes we'll say oh that's a bit annoying and what we really mean is we're really really angry <laughs> so that can be difficult for other nationalities to to uh, to appreciate so we did a bit of work on cultural understanding which really helped them to resonate and connect and we found some really striking results actually the average web chat reduced by five percent and that five percent reduction over uh, you know a team of a thousand people meant that they 40 to 50 people left in the first year that they didn't need to replace. So that saving in time meant they saved 40 or 50 people. So if you think, you know, if you run a contact center, saving 50 people headcount, that's a fair, fairly hefty saving in salaries. But also we increased the NPS score by 20 points. So customer satisfaction was up and the cost to, cost to deliver that service was down. So pretty strong results. It's a brilliant example. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Simon. It's been a joy.
0: You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.